Okay, so here's the pitch. So this movie takes place in 1977, exactly 10 years before the events of Lethal Weapon. What if it was all in the same universe in the sequel? Russell Crowe's character and Ryan Gosling's character meet the young Murtaugh, who is their police contact, while they're doing investigations for the Nice Guys Detective Agency. Young Murtaugh, whose father is Keith David. Okay, so here's what happens. It makes me like Lethal Weapon more, and the <laughs> and nice, nice guys, guys less. less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Here's my second posit. All right. Why are brass knuckles so cool? I don't know. They don't work. They I, they really they, don't. They don't work great, but they are cool. They're cool. Man. Yeah, they're just a cool thing. If somebody puts them on, you're like, uh oh, this is popping. bad. It's popping off. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a bad thing. Yeah. Oh, man, I love it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where we gather around a table, we discuss the films you'll never discuss in film today's course. And Dalton has a comment. Arthur, I figured it out. It's Wolverine. Is that it? Yeah, this is the Wolverine theory. Your punches are cooler, so it's cool. Yeah. Problem solved. We figured we it out. Okay, we, you, now we know why brass knuckles work. But well, yeah, they're cool. Well, they were cool before Wolverine, though, weren't they? Well, it's just short of... We're, we're naming uh, the hypothesis the, that. The, the but if your punches I... become cooler, the thing that is making them cooler is very cool. Is the Wolverine factor? Yeah, yeah the Wolverine factor. There you have yeah, we, it. We've now, the snicked yeah. factor. The snicked factor. Ah, that's... there it is. <laughs> we weren't going to call it X factor, obviously. <laughs> obviously not, yeah. no. Snick factor, that's The snicked factor is totally a thing. Okay. Um, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I am still Dalton. I could really go for an L.A. December right now. Uh, man, I tell you what... Warm weather is always nice. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure it'll turn around for <laughs> it's us. It's supposed to be time. 70s by the end of the week. Hey, all right. Hey, there you go. It's, Whoa, uh, hey, hey, all right. Hey, climate hey. change. I love me some global warming. Humpty Dumpty. Hey. Anyway, um, no offense to any of our Italian-American listeners, uh, right along as we Or Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> or Humpty Dumpty. Uh, if you're tuning into the Good Trash Donner cast for the very first time, we want to warn you, dear listener, that this show is not an analysis show. No, it's not a review show. It is an analysis show. I'm we sure don't at this point anymore. you're wondering, yeah, it may, is it just, just some sort of farce show? Is it's, that what it, I'm listening it's, to? It's a movie show in it's which we talk about movies, but we talk about them analytically, and that does mean we will involve spoilers. However, we'll avoid the spoilers of the first part of the show, the way in which we do that is with synopsis and then quick review. We do do some review. We do do. Mm-hmm. We, we, we are in, in the act of doing mm-hmm. some review at times, uh, by which we will talk about whether or not we like it or not and a little bit of why, but that's not really why we're here. Then we get down to some more serious stuff and we do something called expanding the syllabus, which might involve the gentlest of spoilers of this film or other films of its ilk. And then from there, we move on to business time. There's music that says it's business time. You'll know we're down to business wearing nothing but socks, talking analysis about the film The Nice Guys, not directed by, but... Uh, uh, written no, by no. Oh, written He's and got directed. both. Yeah, baby. Written, written is, and directed by the the his, great Shane Black. This is sort of his blank check. I feel like this is his big one, right? Like if Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is the one that gets him back in the industry, I feel like this is you know Iron Man three is the guarantor. This is this is this is big time. This is the show. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm glad to be doing it. So with all that, Arthur, <laughs> Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us of? 
the nice guys. Sorry, my arthritis kicked in. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that trick hip every time. Every time. Oh boy! I'm glad it's that kind of episode. I was hoping. It would. <laughs> I was really hoping it would be. Mermaids go. Two self-destructive private investigators find themselves asking, "Where's Amelia?" As they join forces on a case larger than both of them, they'll have to tackle corruption, the porn industry, automobile expos, and ultimately themselves in order to come together and take down crime and stuff and stuff. Don't don't. Don't say and stuff. Just say take down crime. Take down crime. Sorry. Okay. I'm glad you corrected me on that. You're very welcome. <laughs> All right. So there you go, friends. That's what the movie's about. Let's find out whether or not we like it. We were pretty cool on Shane Black's first venture into filmdom with Lethal Weapon. I wonder if our temperatures are now warmer. I go to you first, Dalton. What say you? Hang on. Yes, sir. Have you seen it before? I had not. You start us off. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? This is we're se- we're seasoned pros, seasoned veterans. Yeah, I watched the nice guys like yeah. three months ago. You, you have scaled the Misty Same. Mountains many times in the past. <laughs> uh, That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is not my this is not my first rodeo, pal. Um, so yeah, what did you think? We were kind of we're far removed from Lethal Weapon by a full lifetime. Thirty years. I okay. I will say there are these sort of gestures to avoid the problematics of the first film. I'm not sure it succeeds in avoiding all of that. That being said, this movie is so much more fun. Yeah. It is just scads more fun, and uh, is delightful to watch. Um, it passed the sixth laugh test. Uh, it probably passed it by the time we had to interrogate the mermaids, and uh, I was there for all of it. Mm-hmm. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, I do think there are some gestures about some of the problems from before that are attempts, maybe successful, maybe not. I haven't made my mind up yet. But, I think we'll talk about it, yeah. But I think, you know, a gesture is at least a gesture, so there is that. And that does uh, mitigate some of my criticisms of Lethal Weapon. But that all being said, um, I love the cast. Uh, that child actress who is uh, playing uh, Ryan Gosling's daughter. Angry Rice, yeah. Is she is on point. She's great. You should see her in Mayor of Easttown. Uh, just, just absolutely love it. I, I, I love. I think there's enough of distinction between uh, what Crow is about versus what Gosling's about to definitely see the difference in these two characters who are both basically private detectives, even though one isn't licensed. Yeah, one's, uh, one's kind of a, a muscle guy, but is more or less doing the same job. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, and I love me some '70s. I love me some retro. I love me some noir and some voiceover. I love me uh, occasional animals inside the car, uh, surprisingly, and so. So yeah, I'm I'm there for all of it. All the gags work for me. I laugh a lot. I was always interested. It works as far as I'm concerned. So with that, Dalton, what say you, my friend? Yeah, you've already mentioned this, but this film really does feel like Shane Black saying, "Okay, Richard Donner and Joel Silver at all." You kind of made a movie that I wouldn't have made, and that also happened to him on uh, Last Boy Scout. It happened to him on a couple movies, but anyway, it does feel like him sort of. Going, looking back on the early parts of his career when he was just a screenwriter and saying, this is what I would have done with those movies. Uh, that you know, Your mileage may vary on how much you like that because it is very much like those movies. Mm-hmm. It, it is very much in the, the buddy action comedy mold and that we've been talking about all month. Uh, and it's especially in the Shane Black mold. It's you know a Christmas movie, sort of, as most of his films are. So with those caveats aside, yeah, I, it's, 
it's fun. I like this movie a lot. It's very funny. Uh, and I, I think, again, I'm interested in what Shane Black does here as much as, as much as I like the witticisms and stuff. Like I, I am really interested in this movie as a movie about buddy cop movies. Right. Uh, cause I feel like it's, it interrogates a lot of those tropes throughout, whether it's, you know, that opening scene where we kind of deal with the sexualized violence or sexual violence no just sexualized violence uh that is inherent in these movies that young uh, kid grew up to be david cronenberg well i think that and he made crap sure, right. <laughs> i think that young kid is and i've heard this observation elsewhere uh but I, I think that kid's shane black right like i think that's shane black saying I, I don't like some of the stuff you did in my other movie where sex workers were involved with the plot uh or at the very least it, yeah it feels like a gesture towards uh humanism and the film's filled with them because this is not a movie where people are just firing off full clips of guns and pure anger and rage. This is a movie about real people. And when guns go off, bystanders get hit because that's what happens when guns go off for laughs. I think some of them are for laughs, but I think a lot of them are interrogating violence in these movies. I I don't know. Yeah, I I get you. I think the violence in this movie is more often than not. The the violence against Ryan Gosling is all comedy. I think, (laughs) I think the rest of the violence in this film is, I don't know taken pretty seriously at least that's my read on it i could i could be uh out of my depth here but that that's my take on it because i i think it makes the movie more interesting it makes shane black more interesting as a filmmaker especially as one that's written and uh, in some cases made a lot of action movies or i shouldn't say made directed a lot of action movies uh it's it's interesting to see somebody do this it's interesting for a i know we ragged on warner brothers endlessly a couple of weeks ago and we talked ready player one it is bizarre this movie just came out two years before that. It, I don't know. Does this movie get made by the same studio today? <sighs> Who can say? Um, but I appreciate any time a studio lets a filmmaker make big swings, and I think this movie's full of big swings, and I, I like that about it. Very good, very good. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dolster. What do you say, Mr. Arthur Gordon? Um, do you like The Nice Guys? Uh, yes, I do quite a bit. Um, I, I, I think it is just endlessly funny i i think the more i've watched it the funnier it gets because I've, i pick up on new jokes or new bits that I, I didn't catch maybe the first few times i watched it um ryan gosling does a full uh lou costello bit uh in the woods um and, and then uh russell crowe uh does a flying cross body and bowling balls uh two heavies uh, at a party uh, it, it is just some and what are the brilliant is comedy. Keith, it's Keith David. Yeah. Come on. I mean. What's not to like? Um, I mean, Russell Crowe's physical comedy is so good here. Uh, he, he is just operating at a level I, I wouldn't have expected, I think, from from Russell Crowe, uh, who, who I like. But uh, the the timing, his his way he handles that, and, and, and I think it, it, it's really tight. Um, Gosling's great. I love Gosling. Same thing. He's doing a lot of really cool physical comedy, but he's also kind of playing this schmuck in a way that that is he's very affable but endearing, and they're they're really interesting characters side by side. Um, so I, I enjoy that all about it. Uh, the, the the supporting cast is all great. Uh, I love the seventies aesthetic, as you mentioned. I'm a sucker for that as well. It even opens with that classic Warner Brothers logo, which is fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good bit. Um, great score. There's just this level of absurdity to it. Uh, well, you know, we get visions of Nixon and honeybees and and things like that, which are just <laughs> Nixon, like, no. two of the best two of the best jokes <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. yeah, um, I've been quoting it quite endlessly since rewatching it. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I just love it. I, I really do. I think it's just a blast. 
to see these two come together with such a tight script that that really I think Black does really master those tonal shifts because there's I was watching the behind the scenes they mentioned this like heavy thrills extreme violence but then the humor of it and I think he does really intertwine those those elements in a very effective and efficient way so yeah big fan of uh of the nice guys very cool very cool thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon so we now move on to the next part of our show in which we expand the syllabus dalton can you explain what expanding the syllabus is all about yeah i sure can bud uh so expanding the syllabus is where we deliver on the promise of this show where we're going to talk about the movies you wouldn't talk about in a film studies course and we're going to do it in a film studies way uh, what's that look like? Well, it looks like taking the nice guys and saying, how would you teach it? What would you teach alongside it? Uh, and, and how would you put an academic lens on a movie that, uh, you know, at first blush might not be something that seems worth academic pursuit. Very is good. That, very is good. That it? I, I, I think that's it. I think, you know, it's, you know, it so well, I want you to go first. All right. <laughs> I guess. Um, I, so this feels like it's part of a unit in a, a class, uh, this feels like it's got to be its own Shane Black unit within a class about Christmas adjacent movies, uh, films that are deliberately not Christmas movies, despite taking place during the holidays. Uh, I'm not somebody that really likes the holidays. I think they're bad. Uh, period. And I don't. I don't really feel like elaborating on that. I just think they're a bummer. Um, so I'm always attracted to films. I don't know, share my ethos in this regard. At the very least, like. I don't know, I like the aesthetic of the holiday in some regards, and I think all of these films do too. Uh, or at the very least, they have their reasons for approaching the season. Uh, so what are the Shane Black movies we'd have to look at? Of course, we'd be looking at Lethal Weapon uh, and uh, it, sort of its place in his career as sort of this thing that gives him really a lot of leeway throughout uh, his, his career. Uh, but we'd also be looking at uh, this movie, Iron Man 3 and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, sort of his quartet, uh, or we'll just look at the ones he directed as a, a tri- trintet mm, that's not right oh well uh a, a triptych a triptych there we go his three little triptychs uh his his set of films that are decidedly not about christmas and yet are obsessed with the holiday uh i think the other films we'd look at are, are, are a lot of fun though this is a, a truly a long list if you go looking for the christmas adjacent films i'd really surprise myself with how many i'd totally forgotten about uh, but I want to look at the recent Spencer, uh, the uh, Pablo Lorraine film uh, starring Chris Stewart. Uh, it's it sort is. of a Christmas ghost movie. Yeah, real good. Uh, there it is because I saw it recently. Yeah, of course. I'm going to get that in there. Come on. It's on theme tonight. Uh, we'd also look at In Bruges, a favorite of ours here at the Good Trash Genre cast. Uh, a film that is definitely about Christmas, even though it's not about Christmas, if you ask me. Uh, also looking at The Ref, uh, very mm-hmm. weird movie with a lot of problematic people in it, but I... I don't know. I think it's a really effective not Christmas movie. Uh, and finally, Eyes Wide Shut, uh, yes. which is one of the ultimate not Christmas Christmas movies. Uh, I think all of these are films that could truly have their own course, uh, especially that last one. I really just mean that last one because uh, there's a lot of literary references and that alone. Just you got to unpack all that crap, even if it's too smart for its own good. Sometimes you still have to deal with it and talk about it. It's a brilliant uh, film. Yeah, you know, I haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah. It's one of my Kubrick blind spots. You know, I've I've seen clips of it, not in a gross way, uh, in a normal way. <laughs> you do have to make that. Caveat. You do have to make that caveat. <laughs> there, there are other clips you could be enjoying. <laughs> you could be, but seeking I, out yeah, for specific I, reasons. I see the appeal of the movie. It's moody and and spooky, and 
Yeah, I see the appeal for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it definitely feels like it's you have to bring it up if you're talking about these sort of Christmas adjacent films uh, is, is uh, one term I saw being thrown around to describe them. Uh, what do they all have in common? A very good question. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, at the very least, you'd have to say that they have a cynicism towards the holiday in mind, um, or at the very least, a, a cynicism about... Uh, pretending the world stopped turning uh, during the holidays, I guess. Uh, anyway, that's the class. Uh, I think it'd be okay. Arthur, what about you? How would you talk about this? Uh, this would be a brief session, possibly in a screenwriting course, uh, where we talk about the trope of the unexpected animal popping up. Um, <laughs> here in the late part of the movie, there's a moment where a uh, six-foot-tall... Uh, Honeybee is sitting in the back seat and uh, having a discussion with Ryan Gosling, uh, and it is very funny. Um, and so I think that's a fun trope uh, to look at. Uh, it's usually used for comedy, usually a surprise element. The animal is usually pretty large. Uh, and to start this off, I would talk about The Hangover and The Tiger. It's a big tiger. Yeah, it is. Uh, it has a lovely little theme song, too. Um, but it's a good bit. It, it plays in the story as it leads us through... Uh, their adventure, and they continue to unravel and pays off by getting them to uh, Mike Tyson, uh, which is kind of a fun twist. So I would start there. Next, we got to talk about, obviously, animals in backseats. It's got to be Tommy Boy uh, and the deer uh, that uh, creates mayhem <laughs> and it. havoc at the end of their trip, uh, creating even more uh, angst uh, between the boys there. Um, we're going to go a little more subtle with the next one. Uh, which is the Holy Grail. Uh, we're going to talk about that little rabbit. Ah, uh, uh, shout out to so much mischief and mayhem uh, and is such a great bit in comparison because we expect something monstrous and yet it's so fluffy and cuddly mm -hmm. and unexpectedly dangerous. Uh, beyond that, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, snake in a Jeep in Gone in 60 Seconds <laughs> as uh, DMX <laughs> plays in the background. Uh, with this ball python uh, crawling up people's uh, clothes and arms and legs and freaking them out uh, in a parking garage. Y'all about uh, make me lose my mind. Tell me about it. If a snake... Uh -uh. mm -mm. Nope. Done. Done. Uh, and why did it have to be snakes? Uh, we're going to end <laughs> with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nice. Uh, sure. There, uh, Indiana Jones and his incessant fear of snakes and how that is threaded through that film and even the series... Uh, because it's a good bit. And so uh, that's what we talk about. We just kind of talk about this trope, its use, uh, and a few examples. We probably wouldn't watch these movies. Maybe just look at the clips from them and the sequences from them. Uh, but I think it's a fun thing. It doesn't get used, I think, a ton, at least memorably. Uh, but I think uh, it does get used well here in The Nice Guys. And so that's that's where I'd go with this. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. I think I would use this movie in a class about space and place in cinema. Okay. And the initial module would be about Los Angeles. Um, I would begin with Tom Anderson's uh, great little bit of video essay work, uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself which is an examination of locations used in major Hollywood films. And a part of his thesis is that modernist architecture is always a stand-in for villains. And so villains' right. homes always sort of are modernist-designed place. And so uh, that's an interesting idea. Hey, where's the lie, though? 
What's that? I said, where's the lie, though? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so uh, that would be an initial place there. And then thinking about the nostalgic uh, look at Los Angeles, particularly uh, with uh, using this film. So because we're doing a 1970s Los Angeles uh, for the nice guys, I would think about the 60s, uh, the late 60s into the early 70s in Los Angeles, and Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be a good example for that. Uh, then looking back from the 70s to the 50s, though I do not care to use his director often, I think Chinatown, Roman Polanski, I think that's an important film in terms of space and place, and uh, we would just have to just have that discussion as part of our discussion about whether or not we watch Polanski, uh, even though we're going to watch Polanski. We got a whole episode about it. Yeah, yeah. you can go listen to that. We 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 unpacked as best we could. So that is it by itself. And then uh, the remake of Chinatown, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, uh, much the the far superior remake. Far superior remake of it, doing the same kind of thing in the late '80s, looking again at the 1940s. And uh, doing that film noir kind of thing. I'm sort of sticking to the world of film noir. Inherent Vice is another film I thought about possibly using for this as well. From, That's a good one, yeah. Um, L.A. Confidential. Yeah, there's, LA, there's a huge list uh, you could have pulled from. And again, very much delving into the world of Hollywood. But the last place I think I would go, and definitely tying it to the nice guys, is uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. Sure, okay. Which is a contemporary set film with an aesthetic of the 1980s, doing a film noir kind of thing in a movie that's about car chases. And uh, the meta-ness of the way in which we're bending and breaking what what is noir, what is retro noir, and those rules. And then thinking about space and place and how that plays into that, uh, particularly in the realm of aesthetics and lighting, as aesthetics and lighting seem to be major ways in which the uh, the city has been represented there. Uh, other modules that would follow, obviously, New York. Uh, we would look at uh, San Francisco. And then I would probably pick somewhere in the southwest. I'm thinking a lot about um, Houston. Uh, but I'm not quite sure what I would end up doing there. Maybe Texas in general. Oh, yeah. So I wonder if you'd be forced into doing Texas or the Southwest. Yeah. Just, just because there's there's a lot of vagueness sometimes that Hollywood operates within. But a more generic Texas. I, I, no Country for Old Men was sort of the first thing that yeah. came to mind, which is more of a Lubbock, uh, West Texas kind of area sure. there. And uh, what I would do afterward, I'm not quite sure uh, with that. But uh, th- those are the initial thoughts I'd have on a longer class on nice. uh, location, 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 in cinema, which would be the name of the course, I think. Oh, good one. So, there you go, friends. Your syllabus just got much longer with all of that, friends and neighbors. I believe now is the time that we get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. That's right, it's business time, dear friends, and I guess the first thing we need to talk about is repentance. Is this movie an act of repentance? To, and what, to what extent is gotcha. the penitent effective in their repentance? Do they owe more Hail Marys, or have we gotten it done? I thought you meant within the text of the film, which I guess we'll get to later. Yeah, we could talk about that. Yeah, but yeah, does, does this film make up for all the issues we had with Lethal Weapon a couple of weeks ago? Or just last week, yeah, sorry. I forgot what order we were releasing these in. So does an exploitative shot of the Misty Mountains uh, being covered up by a child, does it still exploit the actress? Well, it exploits both of them a little bit, probably. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm always weird about it. I appreciate that this movie knows how the 70s treated children, but I, I, I struggle with child actors in films like this, man. Yeah. I'm just like, ah, come, these are kids. Yeah. 
Well, Holly ends up at that, you know, porn party. Yeah, yeah. that's also kind of Just uncomfortable like, you, to watch, you too. Had to, this angry rice had to be there. Her also, there is, there you know... It was this, awkward for everybody. And that is the stand-in for the strip club scene that is kind of the uh, the standard trope of these films, is that you yeah. have to find one contact or, yeah. you yeah. know, chase down one of the possible baddies at a strip club, and there are, you know, these ogling scenes. And we have that again here in this film. And so I, I don't... It knowing what it's doing is better. Absolutely, question. Mark? I, I think no. I I think unquestionably knowing what it's doing is better. I I do. I really do. I don't know that that absolves it. Yes, yeah, and that's kind sort of, of the question we're asking. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. It's it's a tough. Qu- I don't know. I do. I like the movie enough that it Having doesn't its bother cake me. And eating it too, kind of a thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the movie, so I'm yeah. I I let it get away with it. But if you if this doesn't yeah. appeal to you. You are absolutely totally fair to take this down for that. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell you you're wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's problematic in, in certain regards. Well, and I, I do think the step that it does take forward is that it, there is a, a, an attempt, as you said earlier, at humanization of sex workers. And, yeah. uh, and, and again, this is not about content. I'm not talking about the number of nipples on screen necessarily uh, in this sort of moralizing kind of way when we're talking about absolution and sin and repentance. What we mean here is the the exploitation of the male gaze is what we're talking about here. Uh, following Laura Mulvey and, again, Visual Pleasures and Narrative Cinema, that great essay, is, is what's informing our, our thoughts here, dear listener, in case you've never tuned into the show before and you're wondering why we're saying what we're saying and thinking maybe that we're a bit puritanical in what we're how we're approaching this. But what we mean, though, is this film does then move into... I mean, the, the plot narrative is not really about a sex film, per se, or a porno- pornographic film. Yeah. It's, it's about an art film that also happens to include nudity and stars... Um, some adult uh, film actors and actresses. I tell you what, in two, in two ways, I think our old friend Slavo's got to come up. Number one, I think you should unabashedly like this movie. Be a pervert. It's fine. It's okay. That, <laughs> it's okay that there's sex in this movie. I, th- I think we're doing our best to untangle like how well it engages with this stuff, and we will continue to do so. But also, our friend Slavo, I think it, this film provides us with maybe one of the only. Uh, ways that art could truly be useful and by i mean like filmed art putting political indictments within pornography right pretty that's i I was gonna quibble with you calling it an art film because they kind of make fun of people for calling an art film within the movie but the more i thought about it i was like no it is an art film (laughs) it's a a deeply political and it names names right the porn movie about the story yeah i know which is such a funny joke yeah it's like the whole premise i I love that about this movie is that that it's very premise as a just a solid joke. Right. Well, and I, what I think the the effort is that they're sort of lifting up. This film seems to be a movie that suggests um, The Girlfriend Experience by Soderbergh, mm. that suggests The Canyons by uh, Paul Schrader, uh, which stars James Dean alongside Lindsay Lohan. Lindsay Lohan? Yes. Uh, and so... There's there's a way in which you know using these sort of adult film uh, stars as a way into being transgressive, but then articulating some slightly different uh, ideological and I think a deeply philosophical um, sociological commentary uh, that goes alongside. And I and I, I do think though this film may not do that. It at least it, wants to. It will. I, it, that's I not think. what. That's not what this movie is. This movie yeah. is not a Schrader film. This movie is definitely sure. not a Soderbergh film. But it's also saying I want to be better than uh, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon, or Beverly Hills Cop, or any number the of those eighties yeah. buddy cop movies that again just sort of without. 
any sort of forethought or any investigation use these kinds of scenes. And so I think the referentiality is its way towards expunging its guilt. Yeah. I, I don't know. Again, it's still kind of doing it. Yeah. But one of the other things we talked about last week uh, when we did lead the weapon was dissect the female characters there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we could look at here. Okay. How they're presented. I mean, Kim Basinger's pretty thin. Yeah. Well, she's just a villain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's they don't really do anything with that. Or, so, or really similar Amelia. to our psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon, who yep. doesn't have much to do. She's there to kind of move the plot along yep. and give us some information. But then we have... Amelia and Holly. A dead wife and an ex-wife. Yep. All right. Yep. Much like Riggs. Much, yeah, or, Riggs. We get another dead wife. Yeah. Right. And a much more... I don't know, nuanced or at least realistic depiction of depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that but just, anyway, that's that's a sidebar for later. Then we get there later, probably. Yeah. And then we do have Holly and Amelia, Holly who and are Amelia. The, really the two main players. Yeah, and, and really it's just Holly. You know, Amelia doesn't have much screen time. Like, um, she's more of a MacGuffin yeah. to the plot. She is yeah. a MacGuffin. But she does, um, she's she thinking her cool own moments. thoughts, and she has some cool moments, and though she is um, summarily executed... You know what? A third, two thirds of the way through the film. Yeah, two thirds. I think it's a subversive final. Yeah, it's a subversive choice here. Unlike it, most movies. Mm -hmm. I feel like most movies would save her, and that would be fine. And normally, I like it when people don't die. Generally, Uh, but I don't know. It feels. I don't know. There's something subversive about how blunt it is. Mm -hmm. It's not drawn out. It's not a oh no, the hero's failed moment. It's just a that happened. It's probably the first dramatic violence in the film. Really? See, I think the time... I, maybe this Off is just... Off the top of my head, I mean... I think the moment in uh, Russell Crowe's apartment... Uh, with Blueface Jack. and the old, older guy? Yeah, in Healy's apartment with Keith David and Blueface. Yeah, yeah, when they shoot the neighbor. To me, that doesn't play as a joke. I kind of thought it was a joke. Really? Yeah. I thought it was a joke, too. Because it's not... I mean, it's just kind of a... Because okay. isn't, isn't she in the Russell act Crow of kind coitus... Of, I don't. No, I think, think she's so. like stretching or doing yoga. Oh, okay, I, I, it was such or, a flash, and I didn't go back. But it's I'm still, not a perv. To me, it did but... kind of feel like a because there's no moment of resonance. It's you know, Healy looks back, is like, oh, okay, whoops. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know. There's another moment where I'd have to watch it again. But you're right, though. In some of the other moments of bystanders being caught in the violence that I'm thinking of are definitely jokes, especially yeah. late in the movie when it's yeah. all the friend gets know, thrown goons. through a window. Yeah, which is kind of serious, but I mean. It's kind of tense, but it's not like super dramatic because she's okay. And yeah, but I, I feel like there's something just so stunted about Amelia's death that it does feel that moment, especially though. Yeah, I think much more effective and resonating. I yeah, I think you're right. I think it's maybe the most successful moment of the movie, taking violence seriously. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but dude, I think your your challenge to the film is is well thought because that only leaves us with Holly. Who is interesting, mm-hmm. but is not a, is is a girl, right? Is, is, a, child. is a child, which you know that doesn't necessarily help us as far as how does the movie engage with women? Because movies tend to do better with girls. She is uh, well, that's that's a stretch, actually. Yeah, well, she is. She does function as a conscience for um, both of our protagonists. Yeah, sort uh, of the magic child in that regard. Yes, and so there's. I mean, that is what it is. But that is a positive representation. And she's better at her dad's job than her dad. Correct. Yeah. Which is hilarious. It's and she's better big. at morality than Healy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she sort of is the glue that the, binds She's them. the, what, the id of the team? Super ego. She, super super ego. Why? Yeah. Every time. It's okay. It's all right. Hey, guess what? It was all bullshit anyway, so you don't ever, <laughs> you don't ever have to be right when you talk about Freud. Zing! <laughs> Zing! Shots fired. Take that, psychoanalysis. That's right. Analysts. 
No, it's useful concepts. Sorry, Schlavoy. Uh, useful concepts. <laughs> strong literary devices. Right. Yeah, and strong literary devices. Correct. Absolutely. Correct. Uh, but I, I have to say, though, our men don't fear it fair any better. Our, That's true. Our the men yeah, all suck. Yeah. The right. movie has a low opinion, I think, of people. Or in at general. least at least what Los Angeles does to people. Yeah. I mean the only person who comes off as a net good, I think, are Amelia and Holly. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the only the only, you know, um vice of which Amelia's guilty is maybe naivety, you know, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cuz are Healy and uh, Hall Holland nice march. March. Are are Healy and March nice guys? I don't think so. Do they become them? Do they try? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think they I do. think they definitely they do. They want to be nice guys. I think they both yeah. do. Yeah. And I think that that's sort of what is the film's strength is that unlike Lethal Weapon, we are presented with guys who are trying their best to be seen as good people. We don't really know how Riggs and Murtaugh like want to be seen. Yeah. But in this film, we, we definitely get from both Healy and March like that they articulate uh, in the text of the film at a couple of moments that they are both like striving for something as far as like how people perceive them yeah healy's so interesting right he, he kind of like I, I alludes i think that he is motivated down this track his wife has left him but he has this heroic moment in a diner where he destroys a armed robber yeah and then there's almost this chasing the dragon of him trying to find those heroic moments so mm. we never see him do anything unkempt i think you know all the the hired gun stuff he does is to protect women almost i mean He's hired to beat up the the teacher, drug dealer, whatever he is, yeah. uh, the adult there. Yeah, the adult dating the child, and then Pe- pedophile. He's sure helping Amelia initially because she's being followed by men. You know, so he's, yeah. he's doing these things that seem to be somewhat heroic in the service of a heroic image, while also getting his money. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting dichotomy because he's obviously got a lot he's working through, and they mentioned that in the movie that you know he's dealing with his trauma and grief and this murderous yeah, <laughs> blood it, rage that he has. Yeah. But he's also, there does seem to be this search for heroism in that. Well, he Maybe he, a redemption for his wife leaving him. He feels lesser than yeah. or something. He's, he so he's trying across, to establish himself or reestablish himself. Yeah, yeah. He just comes across so much more like straightforwardly heroic, right, of the right. two of them. Because he's not conning old ladies for starters, right? Like that's we, that's sort of the interesting difference, right? The one who's got the paperwork to show that they're a PI is kind of a schmuck, as we've I would keep calling him a schmuck. He's he's literally a con man, uh, and Healy is you know who's doing things off the book is the one trying to actually be heroic, as you said, right? Even if his he's misguided or you know he's he's might not really be yeah. doing that good of a job. He's at least right. that's his. Uh, is leaves a question about intention, but whatever. Um, but that sort of echoes the whole movie's deal, right? That doing things within the system doesn't really work out that well, right? Is sort of where we find our heroes at the end of the movie, and that that is something that's right there at the start of the film when we look at the ways Healy and March behave. Well, and that's the question I want to ask. We know for sure that the uh, the unmade, unseen pornographic film is political in nature. Is this film successfully political? It's more successfully political than Ready Player One. Just to, <laughs> just to you know, be to, to keep to, Warner Brothers in check. To keep Warner Brothers in check. To, I don't know, just reference things we've watched recently for the show. 
you know, it, it doesn't say that you can take the bad guys down. It, it says that trying to go after the bad guys is kind of a futile act. You have to be good to the people around you and try to build community where you can find it. And that's that's how you become the hero. And that's that's how you go forward with the day. Right. There is probably not going to be any reckoning for those in power is what this movie has to say. And, yeah, I think the real world shows us that that's that's pretty true more often than not. Um so that's that's where uh, you know we find them is at the bar, uh, commiserating, but also trying to look towards tomorrow and trying to build something together. Right, these guys who were, uh, one of them broke the other's arm when they first met. You know, they do try to find a way to uh, become friends and then coworkers. Tell your doctor you have a spiral factor of the radius. <laughs> so Yikes. funny, so funny. Well, I, I love the. Uh, that whole bit like is is really great on the physical comedy which we we can we do we have anything to say about comedy in this film other than it's good it, well you know it's better than the three stooges yuck yuck that we see in lethal weapon by just simply doing three stooges yuck yuck instead of trying so Alluding hard to, to be so yeah. referential and elusive yeah yeah the 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 no 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 followed by the squeal is like so fun it's just like ryan gosling going from one octave to several octaves away and then one scene is very funny yeah well i think you know the fact that they it's interesting that he does i mean because that bit when he's in the forest and he sees the body is very much a lou costello bit i mean the straight out of abbott and costello uh their shtick and it's it's interesting because i don't know how much of an audience would have been as familiar with that bit as they would say a Three Stooges bit. Interesting. So, yeah. you know, it feels like there's maybe some deeper cuts to some of those references. Um, it also seems that. Uh, I'm sure there's a ton I of. I think it's deep. just. seeded through the film a little better, I think. You know, the punchlines are kind of landing a little harder. The, the, the physical comedy itself is just more on point, it just seems more consistent throughout. Well, I, I hate to come back to them being more likable, but that really is a big part of it. For their, and it has nothing to do with their their copiness. Uh, you know, it, Riggs and Murtaugh are both just kind of mean. Uh, yeah. Murtaugh not nearly as much, right? Like he's, he's got the family stuff that sort of like exonerates him a little it bit. Balances yeah. his character yeah. out a little bit. But they're both just like on the warpath. I guess maybe I'm thinking mostly of Riggs. But even in that late half of the film, they put Murtaugh in the position of having to be the the, the warpath guy because of his family being in danger. Right. Uh, I think the danger coming home is much more effective here. It actually is a function of the plot yeah. versus mm-hmm. uh, it's part of the caper, right? The caper comes home and then the danger follows the caper, not the, the danger just decides to go to the hero's home before, <laughs> before the heroes even know they're in danger. It's right. It really is not paced very well in lethal weapon here. It works better, but again, like, they're more likable, so it and you've gotten more time with their their family, so that that danger coming home feels like real stakes. It feels like something meaningful. We're already kind of hitting on this, uh, but it was a question I was thinking about earlier. Last week, we kind of dissected formally, formalistically, and technically what didn't work about Lethal Weapons. So I, I guess the question is, what is working at a formalist level better here in the Nice Guys? Well, there's, we kind of talked about the tonal stuff, some of the direction, but what else? I mean, we've talked about sort of the ways it's aware of what it's doing. Well, uh, for, I think a good one is the the pool fall, right? That's that's an image we've seen in a hundred movies. We don't very often see a guy miss the pool, mm-hmm. uh, and to have that that dual image of one person getting the pool and one person getting the concrete is it's subversive. It's right. R.I.P. to Keith David's character. Uh, <laughs> 
but it, it is a you know it's it's those moments right where it, mm-hmm. it shows that it knows what it's doing and it's it's it just looks nice it's crisp you know it's it's it, as much as it can replicates a 70s feel even though it's a digital movie i think i'm I sure it's still it shot be. yeah i, I imagine i have no idea but yeah, yeah. i just I assume at this point yeah most things are uh but yeah it, there, there's a cleanness to action when it does happen that i, I think lethal weapon lacks there is a a care to what's happening in the action scene. Like, I don't know, people are just shooting off guns with abandon and lethal weapon. Right. And this movie, I feel like there, there is a, an intention of when firearms are both deployed within the, the plot, uh, but characters, characters make more, the characters who are using guns and the way that those characters are using guns makes more sense. Only the bad guys just shoot a place up. <laughs> the good guys, uh, the nice guys are deliberately trying to not shoot anything up. Um, and I think that that helps a lot, but that's, I guess that's more of a, that's less of a technical question or answer than a formal one. Um, it does look pretty as hell. Uh, I mean, the weapon doesn't look bad though. Right. I I think one of the things it does well is that, that, that leaning into, uh, the dream logic and surrealistic sort of, uh, absurdity, Mm. you know, by using the enormous, um, B and the, the Richard Nixon, uh, vision. No, I'm serious though. No, you know, I, I 100%. I just the Nixon thing. So it's, funny. it's so funny. funny, but but by leaning so hard into this, it, it because we are experiencing a a transgressive sort of you know hyper exaggerated reality anyway in the world of this film. Uh, by going on onto those other registers, it sort of helps with the suspension of disbelief. I think those choices to do that kind of thing. And it happens even earlier on in the film when you have just the, the, the initial arrival of Misty Mountains and she's in exactly the same pose as she was in the centerfold. And that there's this sort of, again, this hyper-engaged, absurdist kind of reality. Of course she would not be posed like this uh, if she were to die that way. And uh, the, the mermaids themselves and other dancers in the, in the, in the strip club scene, or the strip club, the porn mansion yeah the, the the not hugh hefner's playboy mansion yeah uh yeah. party uh when that's all going on there there's a way in which it's so over the top it's so ridiculous that um it excuses yeah holland the, march jumps in the pool in his in his heart boxers and swims after the mermaids yeah it, it is deliberately nonsensical at times right yeah. and and i think that helps make sense of a movie that is in a genre that is by nature defying laws of physics and natural sort of reasoning well uh the 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 line uh i think i can't die that's the only thing that makes sense right mm-hmm. like it is a moment that calls out the plot armor that characters get in these sorts of movies right mm-hmm. and uh, is it still doing it yeah absolutely but it's he's getting hurt a shit ton and that, that at least like softens the the absurdity right? right or at the very least the as you've mentioned like we're, we're acquainted with absurdity in this world so it makes more sense at least yeah and, I, and that is that's a formal choice i think that makes it more effective i think and this is what i thought you were going to allude to earlier in your syllabus when you're talking about space and place i i think the use of space and the clarity of space with the with, with in which the action takes place. And I'm thinking about that sequence at the auto expo where they're chasing down the reel of film. Mm-hmm. Everything is so clean, so easy to follow. We know where all of our yeah. players are. The and geography like, of the scene is yeah, there, the geography. crystal clear. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's something, we, I think we've talked about this some in the past. I hear, it adheres very strongly to the 180 degree rule. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying a lot of action movies today are so incoherent where, where the action is because of green screen or... They're on mm, small, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they're shooting in front of 
very large green schemes. It's just hard to keep track of it. But and that may be partially what it is because everything is moving right, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is just something so on point and clean about that geography that it's easy to follow. I know where everything's at. I know where everything is going. And that may be why. Well, there is one violation of the 180 degree rule. And that is when um, uh, March is hiding on a 360 degree rotating turntable. Such a good bit. (laughs) And the camera moves along with it. Yeah. And so that, that's another one of those moments that gives us an idea of space. And we have a new 180 degree barrier that's set to move it. And then moves it forward as the the film cancer rolls out in the street. Well, and again, that I like it, it calls, as you mentioned, Arthur already mentioned that the film canister rolling, right? Like we're on the roof, we're in the parking lot, we're on the showroom, we're by the pool. Like it, yeah. As, as Arthur pointed out, and I think the film reel does a good job of kind of giving us something to follow. It's a bouncing ball to follow throughout the scene, yeah, which is kind of nice, yeah. Uh, and of course, of course, the movie loves the movies, right? We love it when the movies love the movies. Of course, we do. It's we're yeah. we, it's, is it dumb? Much yeah. like the Academy. Yeah, it's dumb. I agree with you. I, I see you shaking your head as we're going. Yay, the movies! I it's dumb. They're bad. Movies aren't good for anybody. <laughs> but we sure do like it when they love themselves, and that's I don't know. I think it's cute. It works for me. It works that, for me that, too. That a film, that a dirty film is is the MacGuffin of this movie. It's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking more about whether or not this movie's political. You asked that, and I've been I thinking about it. I still don't really have an answer for you. But I, I, I think it, at the very least, is not reformist, right? And that's fairly political. It's not reformist or revolutionary, yeah. No, no it, it doesn't. Uh, it, I don't think it, it it has any gestures towards revolution. It it, it looks at the American left with... Uh, Pretty strong disdain. <laughs> disdain, that's a good word. We're yeah. dead! Yeah, great word, <laughs> disdain. Uh, it, it sees the 70s for what they were, right? This is the last gasps uh, of, of a moment that almost happened. Um, and I, I think that's something, definitely. I, again, the fact that they keep working throughout without this outside of the system throughout the film kind of goes to show that when they do work for the system, that they're paid less than what the system thinks they're worth. Uh, just their own fault, but in a very good joke. Uh, but also, it turns out they're working for the bad guys. As soon as they do try to go to the authorities, it turns out the authorities have already been bought. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that that's that political because uh, movies do that all the time, right? Right. Without, without really interrogating what that means. Um, what, what does it mean that the Justice Department is colluding with auto and makers? A lot. Uh, it really happened uh, as far as we know. Uh, well, I don't know that. Do we know anything about this L.A. trial? I didn't, I didn't research anything about the development of the catalytic converter. And... Well, this I do know. That I know about. Uh, I didn't know anything about the Justice Department. And I, they knew about it in the 50s. They had patents on it, and they patented it so nobody would make it. That's the real thing that happened. Gross. They invented the catalytic converter way before they started putting it in cars uh, because it was cheaper to not put it in cars. It is gross. It's very bad. Mm. I don't know about whether or not uh, any uh, authority, municipal or federal, uh, helped them get off the hook for, for that business. I was not able to find anything. It didn't look very hard, to be honest. It was a co- sort of a quick turnaround for me this mm-hmm. week. Yeah, that's fair. But, yeah, I don't know. Um, how does this operate as an, a J- Christmas-adjacent movie? I was sort of why I didn't want to get into it too much in my syllabus was I, I felt like saving it for this because I, it's, it's sort of a nebulous idea, but it definitely is one that occurs throughout film. What, what does it mean to, to set your film or at Christmas but not be about Christmas? What does that do for a movie? Other than give you a fun aesthetic. Give you opportunities with fun aesthetics, which I think is the main purpose that it ends up serving. Really? Yeah. But it is, you know, 
in its political register, it is um, dealing with issues of materialism, consumerism, mm. specifically, which sure. are some of the natural associations critical of that holiday. So, I mean, it also has kind of this just built-in uh, pathos to it, right? If mm. we have these characters who are broken, hurting, they're broken families, and so setting that juxtaposed at a time when it's all about family and celebration of family, I think it just kind of builds in some tragedy there for your characters yeah. in a way. Um, Riggs has depression. Holland March has depression. One movie uh, doesn't take it very seriously at all. This and movie. won't stop telling you about it. Well, I, I was going to say, uh, yeah. one movie takes it way too serious and won't stop telling you about it. Another movie never states it outright. Right. It just shows you how the character behaves. Yeah, and how he's self-medicating and yeah, yeah. and all well, of that. Well, and how he leaves himself little messages <laughs> that mm. are detrimental to You're never going to be happy. You're yeah. ne- you don't deserve to be happy. He wakes up in is a... Is that what it says? Or is it, no, it says, you, is it you will never be happy? You will never be happy. That's right, because it says then you it gets, will be yeah. happy. That's right. Um, Thank you. Yeah, but I mean, our, our introduction to this guy is he's, he's in a suit in a filled bathtub, just sleeping. I mean, that's kind of where we start with him. And I think the, you know, the, the old rules show don't tell. And I think this does an exquisite job of that, which is in stark contrast to Lethal Weapon. And I think it's really smart. And I think it does handle it in a more balanced and nuanced way. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I don't think there's anything else there but beyond that. But I'm glad that it it, it treats it, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it's, it's weird that the funnier one has more nuance. But I think that that... I mean, to me, that makes sense. I, I think when you uh, approach mental health with some degree of nuance, it's hard to not think it's funny sometimes, uh, which is good. Mm-hmm. Laughter makes you feel better. I uh, Yeah, totally agree. Uh, do we have anything else to say about kids in film? I know we kind of were quibbling about that, the tr- the use of child actors here being a little grody. Kind of, yeah, it's just kind of questionable. Never work with children or animals. Just don't do it. Yeah, that's fair. Just leave them out of the movies entirely. No more kids' movies. CGI them in. No more animals, yeah. CGI well, you do children. the great Kubrick thing where you just don't tell them what movie they're in, and then you go in after the fact and, uh, you know, dub over it or whatever you need to do. That's what I did with The Shining, right? He never told yeah, what's his yeah. name that Danny was in a horror movie. Danny never knew. filmed Danny doing his thing, and then much later, you find out the... <laughs> The, I the was in a scary movie, it turns out. <laughs> it turns out I was working with scary people. Those twins did not want to play after all. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah, it's not funny. Uh, well, I mean, I mean I, there just, may be something to that. I mean, go ahead. questionable Kubrick methods aside, I think there may be something to that idea of how do you expose children to these incredibly intense adult themes in a way that's palatable? I mean... I was respectful of, of yeah. their childness yeah I, you know i don't know well, and i'd be curious to know what you know sort yeah. of uh, mitigating efforts were made you know i, mean, it, I assume it, all la kids are weird tiny adults right like the, these sort of professional child actors that sort of go through the whole circuit right of of being in the nice guys as the daughter and then being in the mayor of east town as the daughter's about to go to college i don't know i assume all these kids are kind of weird uh, at four children art kids yeah, yeah. exactly but at the same time like seen is, some stuff man i'm sure they have that's right. but that's sort of part of the problem right yeah yeah they're on that set so you can't well, hide them I mean, entirely yeah. that's yeah. a thesis in the movie right i mean when we in- introduced to healy right he is having this discussion children's no children today no more than 
they should or whatever he's you know he says in that right which generation. is a common complaint throughout history i feel yeah. like right but it's it's definitely the latchkey kid generation it's coming and obviously it's a popular talking point now because of the internet but like mm-hmm. yeah i think that's that's a, a grumpy old man complaint throughout the ages and you're right the, the film does deal with both children being exposed to things and people having a grumpy old man reaction to it mm-hmm. I, I don't know I, that's i'd forgotten about that but you're right it's like one of his first lines right mm-hmm. this is like the yeah. start of his vo yeah yeah so at least, at least the movie is interrogating both sides of the equation. That's, yeah. that's useful. We don't always get that. Um, one thing I was going to mention, I, I t- talked to Dustin about this a little. We referenced it th- this morning off air. Um, but I was watching the special features for this, and, and Shane Black points out that uh, the noir genre is one of the two distinctly American genres. Mm. And so I just I didn't know if there was much there. If we could kind of elaborate on what... What is so American about noir? Well, it's it assumes that everybody's trying to get one over on you, right? Uh, it's a it's a genre that understands Americans. Uh, it is the fractured regard. American dream. Yeah, I mean that is fundamentally yeah. the, the the root thematic of it is that the American dream was um, a grift. Yeah, a grift. Yeah, and so I've been sold a line of goods, and now I have to figure something else out. And that, uh, well, no matter what the rest of the narrative may be, and that's that's the disenfranchisement, yeah, dis- yeah, disillusionment, distrust, and cynicism. But then there's usually people running grifts, yes, within the, the text of the film, right? And and the yeah, grifters are you know major sort of plot devices, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And the film fatale, obviously, yeah, film fatale, film fatale, <laughs> the film fatale, <laughs> which is all women in film. I mean, we kind of got a film fatale in here. With the uh, the film they're chasing yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Hey, all right. There are a lot of film fatalities. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. What to... All right. I think we. I think we're. we're let, 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 let's render a verdict. Yeah, we're I think. Sleepy. <laughs> we're, we're bringing this train to the station. I feel uh, like. With this film. So what do we say? Shelf or trash? I go to you first, Arthur. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I would shelf it. Uh, I endear. I endear. I, I enjoy it quite a bit. I like it a lot, and I think it uh, deserves to be seen. So I would shelf it. There you go. What do you say, Dalton? You know, uh, watching it in close succession or sequence, I'm a little cooler on it than I, I was the last time I rewatched it, um, which was again just a couple months ago. Uh, so revisiting it for the show, I was I was I was surprised how much it had cooled. Uh, I guess maybe the jokes didn't land quite as hard as I expected them to because uh, it was so recent. Uh, but that said, I think it functions really well as this as again this sort of this archetype of a movie the the buddy cop or buddy action comedy genre uh i, I think it is the most effective kind uh, or most effective one we've watched for this marathon so far i mean as fun as much fun as i had with midnight run i feel like this is a much more effective distillation of what this genre is uh and for that it's valuable and again i there's not that many shane black movies you know and i think they're all pretty good i haven't seen predator uh predators what's that no it's just the predator, predator. is it the yeah. predator yeah definite article that's right that's right wow what a dumb title <laughs> movies are stupid uh yeah put this one on the shelf if you feel like it uh i think it's i think it's worth buying but uh, you know your mileage may vary i'm gonna say it's good stream it i wouldn't own it I'm buddy cop movies are not my wheelhouse um noir a little bit is and i do like the noirishness of it but there are better examples sure. of this kind of stuff and so I, although i like it very much and would watch it again easily i wouldn't bother owning it so i would go ahead and say trash but very very lightly and stream it when all, when the opportunity presents itself currently available on hulu so there you go, it friends. Is. That's a show. Um, Dalton, tell the listener how they can be part of the conversation. Yeah, if you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter, at Good Trash Media. Uh, if you're not already on Twitter, please don't go. That's not good for you. 
Uh, but hey, if you're already there, give us a follow. Uh, we're posting cool stuff. Uh, you can send us long-form feedback. If you've got a treatise on the nice guys, send it to goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. We'd love to take a look at it. Uh, any, anything uh, you, you got, that's a place you can send it. Uh, finally, if you want to help us uh, keep the web web fees paid, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, Arthur, as, uh, the only thing we're doing right now is uh, the Arthur's very cool uh, DVD and or Blu-ray programming. Uh, he... he he knows what people like. What can I say? You 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 put you put data into the Arthurtron, you get DVDs out. It's a good deal. It is a very good deal. Uh but that's all. Now, we got one more movie on this here uh Buddy Cop marathon. I I, I hear I hear this time's it's for the girls. That's right. We bring the Buddy Marathon home next week as we take a look at a maybe less masculine take on the genre. <laughs> When we take on The Heat, the Paul Fagg remake of Heat, starring Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. God, I wish it was a Paul Fagg <laughs> remake of Heat. Ooh, that would be good. That would be fun. Just uh, Melissa McCarthy. I just want a, <laughs> God, I agree. Yeah, I just I want a heist comedy so bad. Oh, man. That's I bet a... this will be fine. Have you guys seen this one? Nope. Me neither. It's a blind spot. It'll be fun. So there you go, dear listener. That's what we're doing next. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.